new song I wrote this week. Teach it to you. sermon. We had a battery failure issue today in the park, and so I know some folks watch exclusively online because you don't live in Castle Rock, and so I thought it would be a kind thing for me to do to finish out that sermon. Maybe you heard the first part, but you didn't get to hear the end. Let me just double check the yes. Okay. And I wanted to reteach this message because I wanted as many people to hear it as possible as I've been talking about Joseph and crisis fatigue. Joseph and crisis fatigue. We've been studying Old Testament characters throughout this year and how each Old Testament person has, has been um, dealing with this, this relationship with God in a take and give kind of situation. And we've talked about Abraham. We've talked about, we went all the way back, of course, Adam and Eve. We've talked through all the way through uh, to the person we're talking about today, Joseph. And Joseph is an, is an interesting character. He went from the prison to the palace. Now, I'm wearing an illustration right now. I wonder if you can guess what this is. It's a beautiful multicolored coat. Now, this, this is probably not exactly like the multicolored coat that Joseph wore. You know what this is? This is actually the Detroit flag. Some of you know... <laughs> I'm a son of Detroit. I was born in Detroit, Michigan. The Detroit flag is multicolored. It's kind of interesting. It, it, it represents the history of Detroit, which has, of course, that's England. The three lions there represents the king of England. And then over here we have the fleur-de-lis. Down here it says when 
France. Of course, Detroit was established. This is the, the king of France's colors. So Detroit was established by fur traders in of Quebecois from Canadians, French Canadians. And then, of course, it's flown under the, the flag of the United States of America, the old red, white, and blue, the stars and stripes. And so this city has flown under three different flags, three different allegiances. And I'm wearing it as my multicolored coat as a reminder of Joseph, the, the boy with the multicolored coat who had a promise over his life. Some people think maybe he had a rainbow coat, that the, that the rainbow coat represented God's promise to never destroy the, the earth with a flood again. And that could be, that could be. And it's really not central to the story, but the idea is that Joseph was a favored son, that he, he started out with a lot of blessings and a lot of good things as a child, and then he went through some great difficulty. God put his finger on Joseph and put Joseph where he wanted him. Joseph had to pay his dues. And so let me read the premise of what we've been teaching about this year with TAG 2020. And we can talk a little bit more about what it all means. Uh, our, here's our, our theme, our, our teaching theme for the year. Um, in unprecedented times when people are either all take, take, take or all give, 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 everyone today needs to learn the fine art of receiving and giving. All of God's creation is based on healthy forms of planting and harvest, sowing and reaping, early rains and latter rains. If we can learn to function in God's creation with a healthy biblical mindset of growth, frugality, faithfulness, stewardship, and doing the right work at the right times for the right reasons, then we can enjoy the most effective and fruitful life that God has planned for us for the rest of our lives, no matter how long or brief your life might be. After all, we've been promised eternal life once we've received Christ. So God has, he's ordained seasons, times of planting and harvest, sowing and reaping, watering, you know, early rains, latter rains. This, this is all part of God's eternal life cycle. And heaven is filled with life. We're promised eternal life. There's no death in heaven. And so uh, here in the natural, in, in the earth cycle, there is, of course, death is a part of life. It's through uh, when the summer is over and the plants cast their seeds, those seeds are become the fruit of what the next life cycle is in the next springtime. And so sometimes in the winter, things can seem dormant and dead. We go through times when things aren't going well or we're not as fruitful as we wish that we would be. But God has a plan in all of it. He has a plan in all of it. And so Joseph had to pay his dues for God's plan. And I want to help you today to endure hardship knowing that God has a plan. I think a lot of us are experiencing what, what I would call crisis fatigue right now. And we, so we have to endure suffering because God is accomplishing good things during times of trial. And uh, we're going to look at some New Testament passages about that. We're going to look at Joseph. I, I actually played uh, the king in Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat years ago. I got to play Elvis because, uh, you know, the pharaoh lived in the city of Memphis. And so there's a play on words there with Memphis. And so I did my one and only Elvis impersonation back in the early 90s at North Central University. And so uh, I, I enjoyed seeing Joseph from that perspective. If you've never seen Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, it's a, it's a fun way that this story gets told. But success in this message will be seen as, as you guys, as summiteers and my online friends and community, as you pace yourself during times of crisis. 
You know, during times of crisis is not the time to make big decisions or sweeping changes. Sweeping, sweeping changes are times for when you have abundance, when things are going well. Um, this is the time to gather resources to make sure that you have enough, that you save for a rainy day. We learn a lot about that from Joseph in this story. And so I want to help you th see through the eyes of Joseph how to deal with crisis fatigue. Everyone can endure hardships in life if we can understand that, that God is accomplishing many good things when we are forced into this game of take and give, of tag. And so we're going to look at various passages, Genesis 37, 38, 40, 41, and 50. So we're going to kind of skip around a little bit to, to, cut, to cover all of his story. Um, so here's a, here's a question for you to consider as I get started. Have you ever been forced into a trade in a high-pressure situation or a high-pressure sales situation? Maybe you walked into a used car lot or a car or a, you know, a commission sales situation and the, the salesman accosts you at the door and says, how can I get you in this car today? Or how, how, what do I have to do to sell you this? Uh, we don't like high pressure sales situations. I remember a time when my wife and I were in Branson, Missouri, and we were going to a timeshare. We got a, a free stay at a timeshare in Branson, but all we had to all we had to do was sit through a one hour sales presentation, and it was an hour of pure misery where this man basically belittled my wife and saying, "What's so hard about this decision? What is money a problem for?" you blah blah you're just just belittling and shaming and trying to pressurize us into buying a timeshare and uh, of course it had the opposite effect no one wants to be pressurized into any kind of decision like that and so um, sometimes though God can pressurize us Joseph found himself uh, into a forced exchange and we're going to read more about that in the story and God is not doing it uh, like a pressure salesman is doing it to get a commission, but God is accomplishing something. If God is trying to nudge you in a direction, it's because it's for your good, it's for the good of others, it's for the greater good of what he's trying to accomplish in his kingdom. And so we don't need to fight God if he is guiding us in a direction. And we, and certainly if, if you're going to fight against God, you're not going to win anyway. So it's better to, to submit to whatever process that he's got you in. So here's something to think about. Sometimes even God turns up the heat he, on us in order to put us where he wants us to be. Now, none of, none of us like to be pressurized, but at the same time, I find that God is loving. He's gracious. I think right now a lot of people in our culture are suffering from what mental health professionals call crisis fatigue. Crisis fatigue. I spoke with a, a friend of mine who runs a funeral home lately, and he said his his business is up 50 56% over last year. But the pressure is tremendous. And the last four funerals that he's done in a row were suicides. And it's just a lot. It's tough. It's difficult. And people are suffering in silence. And oftentimes, um, family members of loved ones who commit suicide are taken by surprise. They knew maybe the person was going through a tough time, but they didn't know how much they were suffering. Well, hopefully this sermon can be, this message can be preventative medicine. And if you are feeling crisis fatigue, learn to pace yourself. Talk it out with somebody. Um, don't suffer in silence, but let's work on this together and stay mentally healthy 
during this pandemic and during this time, this election year, this during this time of crisis, maybe less social media. I know you're watching this on Facebook right now. So, you know, it's good to get the, the positive things from social media. But when it gets toxic, man, turn it off. Close the laptop. Go take a walk. Live real life in your home with your loved ones, family members and friends. But here's some danger signs if you think you might be suffering from fatigue or crisis fatigue. Um, here's here's the, the physical symptoms that people have. Oftentimes, chronic fatigue syndrome symptoms. Um, chronic body pain, body muscle aches, joints, lower back and neck. Morning joint stiffness. Digestive dysfunction, reflux, bloating, gas, abdominal discomfort. Sleep dysfunction, brain fog. Depression and anxiety. Mood instability, irritability. Flat emotions. Parasthesias, I guess that's itching, numbness, tingling, burning, or crawling sensation in the skin. Rashes, headaches, tooth pain, jaw pain, hypersensitivity to sound and light, chemical sensitivity, alcohol intolerance, strange smell sensations, feeling cold all the time, increased allergies, weight changes, orthostatic hypertension, fainting while standing. I've had that before. Chronic sore throat, enlarged lymph nodes. These are all indicators that you might be struggling with crisis fatigue. Give me a thumbs up if you've experienced at least one of those symptoms in the last three months during the global pandemic. Yeah, I think it's pretty normal. I think it's pretty normal to feel stressed out. And when you don't know how long it's going to last, it makes it extra hard. But, you know, we have a solution. We have a God in heaven who loves us. And he's the source of all strength and all peace and all power. And we can turn to him. So today we're going to look at Joseph and the different trials that he went through and how God forced him into a trade. He had to trade his freedom for a breakthrough. As a result, Joseph went from the prison to the palace. So let's look at the story. Genesis 37, verses 9 through 14. It says, Soon Joseph had another dream. Of course, he was he was with his family in Canaan. They were shepherds. He had a dream, first of all, that uh, his brothers basically bowed down to him in a dream. And then he had another dream. They, the brothers didn't like that dream. And then he shared the next dream, verse 9. So it's Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. And this time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? He asked, will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. And of course, indeed, that is what happened at the end of this story. Jacob and his mother and, uh, and Joseph's mother and the brothers and all their families bowed down to Joseph in honor and respect uh, because he became the most powerful man in the world after the Pharaoh king of Egypt. And so here's a good thing that, that came out of their crisis, their worldwide famine, their difficulty, um, this generational crisis, I would say. This is a once in a lifetime crisis that they went through and that this might be hopefully is a once in a lifetime crisis for us. But here's the good thing, number one. Jacob learned that even parents sometimes have to bow to the civil authority of their children. No, if your son is the sheriff, he has the power to to arrest you. If your daughter is the DA, she has the power to to prosecute you. (laughs) And what doesn't make no difference about whether you're their their blood mother or or father or not. You have to bow to the civil authority of a family member, uh, no matter what your role as family members might be. 
So the story continues in Genesis 37, verse 12. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. And when they had gone there for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, he said, and then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming... They recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the, these cisterns. Then we can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. And then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When, but when Reuben heard their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why don't we just, why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him in this empty cistern here in the wilderness, and then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off his beautiful robe that he was wearing. They grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. And now the cistern was empty. There's no water in it. And just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and they saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Here's a second good thing, and it doesn't seem like a good thing at first, but Joseph learned humility. Joseph learned humility the hard way, through humiliation. Now, that's really not God's way. Humiliation is not the way that God wants to teach humility. But sometimes it is the way that we learn. We can see that, that uh, humiliation is really what the enemy tries to do. He wants to condemn. He wants to tell you you're no good. He wants to tell you that you'll never amount to anything. That's not God's voice. God says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. God says that you're made in his image. God says that he loves you, that you're accepted in the beloved. God sent his very son and to shed his blood so that you'd be saved. He loves you. He's not, he's not trying to humiliate you. He might be trying to help you and keep you from sinning, but he's not trying to, to tell you you are a rotten sinner. That's not the point of the gospel. And we can see that, that uh, humiliation is not God's way. Um, but we'll talk more about that. It, it, actually, for James 1.20 says, Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So when we get mad, we try to humiliate someone. We say, well, that's good. God's teaching them humility. No, you're trying to humiliate them. There's a difference. And so we can see this come out later with Joseph, with his brothers, when he kind of takes them through this sadistic uh, play acting of you know treasure and grain and I'm going to take one of you uh, hostage so I can meet this other Benjamin and then you know so jo Joseph is getting his revenge because his brothers have been so cruel so that humiliation really it came back on them because of their cruelty so our passage here in Genesis continues in verse 26 Judah said to his brothers what will we gain by killing our brother We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let us sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. And so when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And then the traders took him to Egypt. 
Now, I'll, I'll just kind of summarize the story from here. It says, after, after, after Joseph is sold into slavery, he becomes the top servant for Potiphar, a court official in Pharaoh's court. And Joseph is falsely accused of rape, and then he's sent to prison in the king's jail for at least seven years, and some biblical scholars think for perhaps even 11 years of total captivity. And then Joseph interprets the dreams of two of Pharaoh's officials through a divine set of circumstances. And then he's brought into, two years later, he's brought into Pharaoh's court and he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And and it's a dream about a a coming worldwide famine. And so he's subsequently promoted to being the most powerful man in Egypt next to Pharaoh because he shows wisdom in the situation. It's during the famine that Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to buy grain. And of course, Joseph, because he's like the vice president, you know, he has a palatial house of his own with servants and and all kinds of, uh, you know, celebratory uh, banquet rooms and uh, guest houses and all those things. So he's coming to this very palatial place. All the brothers are coming to meet him there. And his brothers come to his very house to buy grain. And and they don't recognize Joseph as their brother. Joseph is probably wearing the Egyptian eyeliner. He's probably wearing like the Pharaoh's turban. He probably had. He's probably his skin is you know darkened from being in the Egyptian uh, climate. And they just don't recognize him as they once did when he lived in Canaan. And so Joseph goes from the prison to the palace. And here's the next good thing that we can see in the story. Joseph. Because of his gifts and his wisdom, in a single day, God takes him from the prison to the palace, from being the underdog to being the overcomer. That Joseph, uh, through the gifts that God gave him, the dream interpretation, but not just the ability to interpret dreams, but to know what to do about it, having the wisdom of knowing what to do, gave him credibility with Pharaoh, where Pharaoh said, "Um, I don't even know who to put in charge. You know what? You seem pretty wise. Hey, buddy, I'm going to let you head up this project because I think you have the wisdom that it's going to take to help us be sought through this crisis. And so that's what happens. They have seven years of abundance, bumper crops, more fruitfulness than they've ever seen. And of course, it's more food than what they can eat in a season. So Joseph says, don't don't sell it. (laughs) Just store it up. Every... All the extra that you have, just store it up, save it, because we're going to have seven lean years. And, of course, that's a great uh, biblical injunction for saving. Grandma always said, put some money away, save it for a rainy day, right? Joseph said there's a rainy day coming to the ancient world. There's a rainy day coming to Egypt and the surrounding areas and to Midian and Israel and all the Edomites and all the people around. The whole world is going to go through a famine. So store up this grain because tough times are coming. And sure enough, they did come. And you know what? I could say this when a lot of us think, oh, this we're living in a terrible time. It's really tough. You know what? This could be just the beginning. We don't know. We don't know how long this might last, and who know, we don't know what else it might be coming down the pike, right? The main thing to understand is that God is going to be with us in all of it. And if things do get worse, we have a God who can see us through. 
And we don't have to live with crisis fatigue. And as we're in the crisis, we can keep giving our, casting our cares on the Lord, keep trusting in God, keep tapping into his eternal supply, his eternal resource to stay rested, to stay filled, to stay um, supplied in every way and not let scarcity, not let a poverty mindset rob us of what blessings God might want to give us. So I think Joseph learned how to thrive in every environment that he found himself in. He thrived in the house of Potiphar. He even thrived as the the top uh, leader in the prison. And then he became the leader of basically the ancient world under Pharaoh. And so we know that that Joseph learned the principle of Romans 8.28, even though he'd never read the New Testament because it didn't exist yet. This is what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Rome. He said, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Joseph endured a lot of suffering. And that suffering, that, that built an endurance that, to give him strength so that he could become the most powerful leader in the ancient world. There was a purpose behind the pain. Right? There, was a, there was a solution that he was learning through the suffering. <laughs> and so, like what Bishop Jake says, your miracle is in the mess. And so, maybe your, your mess could have a message. And that's exactly what happens with Joseph. And it, it also reminds me of James chapter 1. James is written by the the blood brother of Jesus. James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He actually converted to Christianity after he saw his brother, who died on the cross and be raised to new life. He became the leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem in the first century. Now you got to imagine this was a tough time to be a Christian. Um, the, the the Roman government was in charge, and the Jewish High Council said, "Hey." You don't preach this gospel. You don't talk about this Jesus anymore. You don't say anything about him. If you do, we're going to kill you. We're going to we're going to put you on a cross the same way we did him. And so <laughs> the church in Jerusalem was no joke. They they had some tough times. They were being persecuted. In fact, and they were suffering so much, no one would want to do business with them. They were d- destitute and poor. So the apostle Paul had the Gentile churches receive an offering for the church in Jerusalem. And so James writes these words to a church that is suffering. And what can we learn during times of suffering? Well, James tells us. He says in in James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, he says, This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the twelve tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So, let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll you'll be perfect and complete, not needing anything. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. And he will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as the wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about. 
for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. And they will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No crisis lasts forever. But every crisis is a p- potential lesson in endurance. And that endurance builds spiritual character and perseverance and perfects our faith. So how did this story end? Well, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. He moved all the family from Canaan back to, into Egypt. Even his father, Jacob, moved and lived in Egypt. Obviously, though, that there was still distance in the relationship between Joseph and his brothers. Because you know that we can forgive, but it's impossible for us to forget. You know, we want to try to forget, but we, we don't have that capability of being forgetful. We need to forget and re- forgive and remember. Forgive and remember how much God has forgiven us. And of course, Joseph, I'm sure, tried to do that. But there was, there was always this, uh, this memory in the back of his head. Oh, yeah, I remember you guys threw me in the cistern. I remember you guys sold me for 20 pieces of silver. You know what? I'm glad to save your life. I'm glad dad came home and we're all here together in Egypt. But I don't think he had him over for tacos. I think uh, I think that there was distance in the relationship. And so Joseph's brothers believed that he was only being kind to them for their father's sake. And once dad died, they thought that Joseph would probably take revenge upon them. And so they, they, Jacob dies. They take his body back to Canaan to bury him uh, near Sarah and Abraham's grave. And after he dies, the brothers are like, hey, Joe, remember, dad said you should forgive us. You know, please don't take your revenge. Remember, dad said that don't, you shouldn't hold it against us. And here's how Joseph responds to them after the funeral in Genesis 50, verses 19 through 21. Joseph replied, do not be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. He probably hadn't spoken very kindly to them up to that point. But Joseph learned how to forgive and remember how much God had forgiven him. The fourth and final good thing that I could say came out of this story is this. The worst things in your life may end up being the best things if you can see them through God's eyes. You could say, well, man, the death of this one thing brought the life of something else. You know, if I hadn't learned that tough lesson over here, I couldn't have become an overcomer over there. (laughs) If I hadn't gone through this tremendous difficulty in this way, I never could have offered any advice with any kind of credibility in this area. Any of you who've suffered from any kind of um, difficulty in life know that you would not want to wish it on your worst enemy. But at the same time, you've learned so much from that difficulty that you have something to offer who's going through the same to someone who's going through the same thing. 
And so I wonder if you would say, hey, give me a thumbs up and say, hey, I, I, I needed this message. I feel like I'm going through a crisis right now. I'm going through the crisis fatigue. Maybe you got one of those symptoms on the list or you're saying, God, I need your help right now. I'm going through a tough time and I don't know how I'm going to make it. Just turn that over to the Lord. Turn that over to the Lord. Let's pray right now. Father, I pray for my friends who are going through this time of crisis and difficulty. We're all going through the pandemic together. We're all going through this election year together and this this time of political upheaval together. God, help us to be gracious and forgiving, to be loving and kind and gentle with one another. For those of us who are just feeling like... We're stressed out. We don't know what to do next. And we're not sure how we're going to endure until this stuff lifts and until life returns to some kind of normal. Lord, help us to just trust you. Give us a supernatural peace, a joy unspeakable that's full of your glory, a supernatural peace that surpasses all human understanding. Now, if you need the Lord, if you need to say yes to Jesus today, maybe you don't know God or you prayed the prayer and received Christ long time ago, but you have not been walking with Jesus as the Lord of your life. You know, God created you to be with him. He created you for a relationship with God. And our sins separate us from God. There's there's nothing that we can do to, to pay for our own sins. There's no amount of good that you can do to outweigh the bad that you've done. There's no religious exercise that you can muster up. There's no amount of money or check that you can write to pay for your sins. No, paying the price for our sin, Jesus died and rose again. He paid our price. Everyone, anyone who will trust in Christ can have eternal life. And that life eternal can begin the moment you say yes to Jesus and last for all eternity. So maybe you're ready to say, pray that prayer and say yes to Jesus. It's a simple prayer. It's just, as far, it's just saying, sorry, thank you, please. It's just good manners to come to God. So if you want to give your life to Christ and start that relationship, would you just pray this prayer with me? Say, dear Jesus. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for going my own way. Thank you for dying in my place. Thanks for dying on the cross for me. I believe God raised you from the dead. Please come into my heart. Be my Savior and be my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now that's the most powerful prayer you can pray, the most important prayer you can pray, turning the life, your life over to Christ. And some people like to pray it all the time just to, to renew their commitment to God. And that's wonderful. I think it's fine to do. But you need to grow. Don't just stay there, but grow as a believer. Start reading the Bible. Start praying on a regular basis. Be a part of a, a local church and grow in your faith. Find some Christian mentors to disciple you. And as you do those things, you will grow. You're going to become stronger. You're going to have more peace. You're going to become the person that God has always wanted you to be. And I know that uh, God's going to be very proud of you as you make this, these decisions and these steps to follow him completely with your whole heart. So that's enough for now. Let me give you the final blessing and then we'll we'll complete this online worship experience. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord protect you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. In Jesus name. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in today to the ministry of Summit Church and the daily outreach of Wayne Hanson. 
You can support our ministry in many ways. Click the donate button on our Facebook page, Summit Church of Castle Rock. Visit our webpage, mysummitchurch.com, and click the online giving link. Or mail your donation to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Or finally, text your gift to 303-625-9434 and follow the prompts using your smartphone. You can also support us by connecting with our online community. Comment, like, share, follow, and subscribe on our various social media channels. Of course, we appreciate you joining us in daily prayer. I'm Sean Rima, and on behalf of Pastor Wayne and the Summit Church family, take care and have a great week. Remember, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life.